So why don't you bow your heads with me as we, as we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your word, that you've given us your presence, that you've given us your son, that you've given us each other to be here as we journey along the life of faith. And so we ask now that as we spend a few moments looking at a story we, we probably know well, that you would give us new eyes to see what we've missed, give us a deeper understanding of your presence. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. I want to begin by telling you a story. Recently, I got a ticket, but it really wasn't my fault, and I'll explain why. As you know, I, will, I work at the hospital from, you know, a couple times a month, and when I'm at the hospital, I'm on call. I don't ever just physically go and sit there, but I'm on call, and I had gotten called in, and I was leaving, and Brett can attest to this because Brett works there as well, and I was leaving the hospital, and my phone rang. Here's the thing. On my phone, with every new update the phones do, it's like it delays it connecting from my f- car's Bluetooth to my phone. Does that make sense? Like, there are some times that it'll, like, I'll be, like, five miles away from home, and then it'll connect. So it's really frustrating. So as I was leaving the hospital, the phone rang, and it wasn't connected to Bluetooth yet. And so I answered it because that's, you know, someone could be dying, or someone could have died, or there was a car accident, or some sort of terrible trauma, which is, or a heart attack. That's what they call us for, like, for these really emergent situations where they need, you know, a man of the cloth there. And so I answered the phone. They said, we have a, you know, what, I don't even remember what it was. Why don't you come back in? And I said, all right, sure. Here's the problem. As I was turning and I answered the phone, on the corner, there was a police officer on a motorcycle. And he did the little boop, boop. And I was just like, I wasn't that worried because I still had my hospital badge on. I thought to myself, I, I think I can get out of this one because I'll tell them it's an emergency. So he said, uh, you were on your cell phone. I said, yes, but... Um, the hos- I'm on call at the hospital, and there's just an emergency, and they called me in. He said, you were still on your cell phone. I said, I understand, but it's like an emergency. So I still got a ticket. I don't even remember how much it was for. I hope I paid it. Um, my registration is up, so I guess I'll find out, you know, in my car <laughs> when I pay that this week. But, you know, like, I can't get that mad at the officer because that's what police officers do, right? They, they live by the code book. Like, and if they see someone that's breaking the rules or breaking the law, I mean, it's part of their job to bust us. I mean, yes, they're there to protect and serve, but I think it's also protect, serve, and bust you when you're working outside of the code book. That's what they do. That's how, they make, that's how cities make money and keep us safe and all that kind of stuff. So I couldn't even get that mad at him because, after all, I had broken the code. I, I was breaking the law, even though it was for a really good thing. But here's what I realized. You know, police officers have code books. And the code for speaking on your cell phone while you're driving is, I believe it's uh, 23123 vehicle code something. Yeah, I know it. Uh, yeah. And that's their code. And if someone's breaking that code, then they are within their legal right to stop you, give you a citation, and then make you pay this fine. What happens is when you live by a code book, it's very difficult to live by grace. And let me explain what that means. We've often heard stories of people that have been pulled over by police officers, and it may have happened to you, and 
they let you off sometimes. Usually if it's closer to the beginning of the month when their quota is not due till the end of the month for tickets. But usually, every once in a while, we'll hear of someone that got pulled over, they thought they were going to get a ticket, and then the police officer lets them off without a warning. But that's rare. The majority of the time, we get tickets because that's what's supposed to happen when you break the law. But I think oftentimes we treat the Bible a lot like it's a code book. You know, growing up, pastors, teachers, parents, oftentimes we use the Bible as a code book, and, and we may not quote Cal, you know, California Vehicle uh, 32123 to say, like, hey, you've broken this law, but what we do do as people of faith sometimes is we'll take certain Bible verses from the Bible, and then we'll say, hey, Ariana, you're living outside of this verse, and so you need to get your life together. That's what we do. I think one of the greatest disservices that have been done to the Bible over the years in the, 16, um, in the 1500s when they started adding Bible verses to the actual Bible. Now, I know it's really convenient for us when, as I am about to get, say here in a few minutes to open up to Exodus chapter 14, verses 3 through 6, it's really helpful for us so that we can locate things on the page. But what ends up happening is that with this numbers, it almost becomes a sort of code book for us as people of faith. And then we begin to point to people and say, well, you're not living by Exodus 20, verse 10. Or you're not living by what Isaiah 58, 13, 14, 13, 14, 15, 16 say about the Sabbath. And what ends up happening, we've made the Bible this sort of legal code book by which to execute justice on people that are living outside of our interpretation of it. See, the Bible was never made to be a code book of rules and laws See, the Bible is a, it's more of a case book. It's a book of stories, a book of wisdom writings, a book of poetry, a book of apocalyptic literature that tells us what to expect as we move forward in life. It's a book of the biographies of Jesus. I mean, the Bible is not a code book to tell you what to do and what not to do. The Bible is a collection of books that teaches us about God. You see, we live in a world where we're very individualistic, and we think, well, the Bible is just for me to tell me what to do to get to heaven. That's, I've, I've heard that all the time. You know, the Bible, basic instruction before leaving earth. That's the B-I-B-L-E, basic instruction before leaving earth. And so we think, like, so the Bible is just for me so that I can get evacuated from this earth and go to heaven. And, and so we've treated it like that, but when we do that, we rob it of its meaning and depth when we just live with it as a code book where it's just telling us what to do and not to do, we've robbed it of its deeper inspiration to tell us the story about God. You see, and it's a story of human frailty. It's a, human of, it's a story of human failure. It's a story of humans messing up. But it's also a story of God's unconditional love for you and God's desire to heal you and to heal the world and God's desire to give you this forgiveness for your sins and this unconditional love so that you can spend an eternity with God. But if we're just looking at the Bible as a code book trying to get people and catch them when they're wrong, then we've missed the point of what Scripture was supposed to be for us. And so the Bible is so much more than just a code book. So I want to invite you to open to Exodus chapter 14. It's not on the screen, so you'll have to get your Bibles out. Exodus, second book of the Bible, chapter 14. Now remember, this story, this story, this sermon is about the Bible. 
and reading the Bible. Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 14. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Pause here for a second. So the story in Exodus, up to this point, the Israelites are now in front of the Red Sea. So they're literally stuck between a rock and a hard place because behind them you have Pharaoh, the, the, the greatest empire of their day, with his chariots, with his warriors, with their spears, with their swords behind them. And in front of the Israelites was a sea. And so they were literally in a place where they're like, if we turn back, we don't have weapons to fight them off. If we go forward, there's an ocean in front of us. There's a sea in front of us. And I don't know that, we, I don't know that they even knew how to swim because they lived in a desert. I don't know how that works. But they were like, we don't have any good options or choices here. And so they complain to Moses and they say, Moses... At least in Egypt, yeah, it was terrible in Egypt. Yes, we were slaves. Yes, there was taskmasters over us. Yes, we were oppressed. But at least in Egypt, we knew what to expect. At least in Egypt, there was, there was a routine. There was a monotony to life that at the very least, we knew what we were going to eat and where we were going to sleep, and we knew how to get around. But now you've brought us out into this place where we have no weapons. We have no way for rescue. And now you've brought us literally to the end of our lives and they say, were there no graves in Egypt? We could have just lived out our lives there, but instead you've brought us out here to kill us. They were wrong, of course, because the story tells us, verse 13. But Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish, accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. You know, the Israelites had seen impossible thing after impossible thing. God sent plagues. God sent all sorts of miraculous things to happen to Egypt, and yet they still had a hard time believing. And I think we can't really get that mad at them because I think we do that in our lives a lot. Like we can look back at our lives and see where God has led us, we can see where God has led us in good ways, and I think sometimes even in the difficult times in our lives, we can see how God helped us through that and led us out of those terrible things. But whenever we are faced with the Red Sea in front of us, I think it's really hard for us to look back and see, well, God was there the whole time. And oftentimes, we just want to go back to what we knew, and it's like that expression, it's better the devil you know than the devil you don't know, you know? And sometimes people would just go want to go back to the status quo of their lives, People just want to go back to what they know because it's harder to live by faith sometimes than it is to go back to how things were. And so we see in this story that God had been present to the Israelites, but they were having a really difficult time believing that God would continue to be there with them. And that's how we live our life of faith. It's like we want God to be present to us, but we want God to be present to us in the way that we say he should be present to us. We want God to walk with us, but we want God to walk not in front of us. We want him to walk just a little behind us so that we can lead God wherever we want God to go. 
And just as the Israelites were having a hard time really understanding the depth and the immensity of the presence of God in their lives, it's because they wanted God to act differently. And so let's go on to chapter 16 of Exodus. Chapter 16 of Exodus, verse 2. They've already crossed the Red Sea. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out of the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Let's stop there again. The Israelites continue to refuse to believe that the God that has already done impossible and miraculous things will continue to do impossible and miraculous things. The ancient Hebrew writers would say that even as the Israelites were crossing through the Red Sea, that there were many who were grumbling because of the mud in their toes as they crossed. I mean, isn't that our like normal inclination in life to just complain about things? You know, some of us just like to be bothered all the time, and so we just complain, even if there's nothing to complain about. And it's the same thing that happens in the Old Testament as happens for us today. Is like we complain because we sometimes fail to see that God has been blessing you all along, but he wasn't blessing you perhaps the way that you wanted. And the Israelites, they complained against Moses and against Aaron. Verse 4 tells us this. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread. I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. Each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. And that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on all other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And listen to this. If you write in your Bibles, I would underline this. Verse 7. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Now listen to this, there's a comma, which wasn't there, but it's helpful for us. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, comma, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. Pause there for just one second. Think about this. I think most of us live our lives trying to do the very best that we can. I think that from conversations I've had with many of you, most of us try to live our lives as holy, as pure, as spiritual, and as we, as we can. We, we use the scripture as a way to teach us the principles and guidelines about how is the best possible way to live. And I think most of us, on our best days, we try our very best to live the best possible lives. And a little bit, whether we accept this or not, a little bit is like, I hope God is happy with me today. Like, we may not think that or verbalize that, but there's a part of us that's like, I hope, I hope God sees how good I was today. And we think like the better we are, the more favor we'll find in the eyes of God. We think that the better, more, less sinful we are, that we're going to find more favor and God is going to bless us more. Yet here in the 16th chapter of Exodus, Moses says, In the morning you will see the glory of God, comma, because he's heard you complaining. They were C-minus students at best. They were complaining. They weren't believing. They were doubting that God could do this. They thought they were going to die in the desert. I mean, these people had just been like, all right, if there's a God out there, but I don't think there's a God out there. And so they're just like, oh, I guess we're, this is it for us. 
And God tells us, or the Bible tells us, that God said, I will show you my presence because I've heard you complaining. Verse 13. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp. So in the evening, they had meat. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the, Israelites saw, when the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what did they say? It's the glory of God. Moses had said, you will see the glory of God. In the morning, when they were supposed to see the glory of God, the Israelites see this fine, white, flaky substance on the ground, and their question we call it manna today because that's the Hebrew word for it, but it misses the depth of meaning. In the morning when the Israelites see this, they said, what is this? To which the answer, when the Bible writers, when Moses writes this is, it's the glory of God. It's the promise of God being fulfilled right in front of you that he would provide for you night and day. Do you see how powerful that is? And so if we think of this, what is it? It's the glory of God. We live our lives constantly asking these questions. Well, where is God? What is God doing? How is God doing it? And I think the only answer is this answer in, in Exodus 16, that it's, it's the presence and the glory of God going before you, in front of you, and all around you all the time. And we know that the instruction that God tells Moses to give to the Israelites, and he says, this is how they're going to pick this manna, this what is it, this glory of God. The substance wasn't, the glory of God, you understand. It was symbolic for God providing for them. But every morning, they were supposed to pick up enough for how many days? One day. And on the sixth day, they were supposed to pick up how much? For two days. Now, let's use this symbolically. This manna was supposed to provide sustenance for the nation of Israel. It was God's way of providing for a people that at that time didn't have a way to provide. They had been slaves. They had been oppressed. They had been ridiculed. They had been beaten. The Bible says that God had heard the cry of his people, and then he acted on their behalf. And that's why God rescues the Israelites from the empire of Egypt. But they were afraid like any of us would be. And it tells us that he would provide sustenance for them every single morning in the form of manna. In the New Testament, we hear that Jesus say that he is the bread of what? It's a symbol. It's a symbol that God will provide sustenance for us, not just physically, but the deeper spiritual desire and hunger of our hearts that if we only were to seek the presence and the glory of God, God would fill us. And for us as Christians, we believe that the, the Holy Scriptures, that the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and then the New Testament is part of how God reveals himself to us. The Bible is about God and God's story and how humans interact with this God who loves them beyond all measure. So if we were to think of manna as the bread, symbolically as the bread of life, oftentimes we think of the Bible as bread, right? Because we're, we come to it to be fed then the way that it was supposed to work is that every single day for six days, you were to come and get this bread or read this Bible to be fed. And on the sixth day, we take up a double portion because on the seventh day, what do we do? 
We come and we empty all of that which we've been getting filled with as a way of honor and worship and glory to the only God who is worthy of praise. Which is why when people say, well, I left this church or that church because I wasn't being fed, the church isn't there to feed you. You would never just, be, you would never just have one meal all week and expect to be full. You see, the whole idea of coming to the manna day by day is that if we are to seek the words of life and the glory and the presence of God, we begin by finding first and foremost in the stories of Scripture because it informs how we understand the world and it informs how we understand how God works. So just as the manna came every single day and the Bible writers say that is the glory of God, then we as followers of Jesus, we as people of faith, must come every single day to be fed and filled with this presence of God. Now, God's presence doesn't just come from reading the Bible. God's presence comes in all sorts of different ways and forms. But the reason that we read the Bible is because it's that one thing that we have that gives us a solid foundation for how we begin to live and see the world. The Bible informs us. It teaches us about impossible things and how God, if he did it once, God will do it for you. It teaches us about suffering. Being a people of faith doesn't mean that you're never going to suffer. Reading your Bible in the morning every day doesn't mean that that day there won't be anything bad that happens. Reading your Bible in the morning just says that when those bad things do happen in your lives, the God who shows up in His glory will help you through that thing which you're going through. We're not superstitious. We don't do things so that God will then do something for us. We do things because we know that there is no better place to be than in the presence of God. And so we come to the scriptures because it informs how we see and how we understand the world. And it's easy for us to complain about all the things that we don't have in our lives. It's easy for us to complain about how things aren't going the way we would like them to. But you see, we only complain when we focus on ourselves. But if we were to go to this daily living manna, the presence of God every single day, some of our complaints may start to subside because we realize that we are a part of a bigger story. And so I want to invite you to one last passage, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. To our God, for he will abundantly pardon them. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the sun, snow come down from heaven, and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but my word will accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I have sent it. We come to the scriptures because we believe that it is a message from God to us. We call the Bible the word of God because it is God's message to us. And the Bible writer in Isaiah, Isaiah says, so shall God's word that goes out from his mouth, it shall not come back empty. 
which is why it is so important for us to come to the Word daily. And so there are three things that I wrote down here about how to have a better experience with the Bible. So here are the three things that I would leave with you this morning as you come to the Scriptures and allow God to do His thing. What we find in the story in Exodus is this. You have to be consistent with it. Like you have to be consistent daily coming to the Scriptures. We live in a world now where if you don't like to read, you can download audiobooks. Like there's a whole audiobooks of the Bible that you can listen. There's websites that you can click on it and it'll read it to you. Right? There's podcasts on sermons. There's all sorts of things. But if you have to be consistently filling yourself up with this bread... And just because you filled it up yesterday doesn't mean that you don't have to fill it up today. You know, so often we think that, well, well, I already know what the Bible says. I already know what this story means. I already know what this Bible verse is. If you're living like that, you're just living as the Bible is just a code book with rules. But if you, if you spend every day, some time of the day, reading the Scriptures... It begins to fill you and inform you in a way that there is no real way to say it other than you'll just know that you are being filled with the presence of God. Number two is there has to be trust. The Israelites had to trust that God would keep his promise. They had to trust that every single day for six days in a row, God would provide this manna for them and they would have enough sustenance for the day. And I think it's the same way with us when you come to the scriptures We have to trust every single day that we are going to get something from this that teaches us more about the love of God and teaches us how to interact and live our lives. So there is this level of trust. And the third thing that the Israelites had to do that I think we must do today is you have to be open to the mystery of God. When they saw this manna, they they simply asked, what is it? They didn't know what it was. All they knew is that it was a symbol for the glory and the presence of God. And so when you come to the scriptures, you have to be open to the mystery, not just ask questions. Well, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? But if you're truly spending time in the text, you'll stop asking the questions and the text will begin to ask questions of you. Where do you find yourself in the story? The text will begin to really ask you about your soul, your heart, your mind, when you're there in the presence of it. So when we think about Scripture and the Bible, we come to it because we know that through it, we will see the glory of God.